Welcome into episode 20 of the Woodpeg Weekly Podcast, your weekly source for all things Arkansas Razorbacks. Once again, episode 20 is brought to you by University Traditions. Go give them a check on Twitter, Instagram, anywhere you can find them on their social media or the web. Um, you can use promo code VSN15 to receive 15% off your order. You know, definitely go check out their favorite collection for all your Arkansas hat needs. Uh, they have some great designs and great offers out there for you. All right, we'll jump into some Arkansas football news this week where Arkansas has resumed practice this week after a week off for spring break. Coming out of practice this, you know, the, before spring break and this week so far, you know, two notable freshmen that have been talked about has been tied in Luke Haas and cornerback Jalen Braxton. Luke Haas has been, you know, performing well in practice, has gotten a lot of reps, and he, he's starting to draw a few comparisons. I know it's early in his career, but to comparisons to George's Brock Bowers. So what what do you think about that? Man, uh, Brock Bowers has been one of the best-looking tight ends of this decade, honestly. I mean, I know there's been some greats out there, but he's he's definitely got the potential to to kind of make his way into the NFL, be a Travis Kelsey, be a Rob Gronkowski kind of guy. I mean, that he can do it all. He blocks well. He catches the ball well. He runs routes better than most tight ends. Um, and then, really, I think a testament to him is just his, his off-the-field personality I, you, you see some of his interviews and stuff and he's just a you can tell he's a really intelligent individual and so uh, Luke Hoskane in comparisons to him it's pretty impressive like you said it's early on um so take all that with a grain of salt you know I'll, I'll be curious to kind of see how how he fares in SEC play like in-game action but he was a pretty solidly touted recruit um so th- this definitely is is good things to hear and I, we talked about it, you know, a few weeks back about how Dan Enos is is a lot better at utilizing tight ends than uh, than maybe Kendall Browse was. So I think kind of perfect fit at the right time potential is is happening right now. Yeah, that's true. And you know, it's like I know I saw a snippet of where Pittman said, you know, he's not the biggest guy because he's only six three, two twenty six at tight end, so he's on the smaller side. But he said he's kind of making up for that, and it, you know, his work his attitude and you know the things he's able to come out and do so that that's definitely good to see the that you know he's making up for you know maybe that that lack in size with some some other you know attributes yeah um got the intangibles that that's what makes a player go from from good to great um and in my opinion is another reason why brock bowers is so good at georgia i mean obviously he's got he is a big body guy but He's got a lot of things that you can't always teach. And uh, hearing some of those comparisons coming for Luke Haas is definitely a good thing. Yeah. Then when you flip over to the defensive side of the ball, you have Jalen Braxton that came in. He's a freshman. that he, He's been performing well in spring practice so far, but he, he has a little bit tougher route to playing time as, you know, on the tight end side. You know, our tight end room is, you know, a little thin after last year and getting some guys in. But on the defensive side, and you know, defensive back, you know, we, he's got to compete with returning, returning guys like – Quincy McAdoo, Dwight McLaughlin, Ladarius Bishop, who's still recovering from injury of week two last year, um, not to mention, you know, the five-star transfer we got in from Georgia. So, you know, even though he's performing well, he's got a, a long way to climb up that depth chart, but it's good to see that he's actually performing well in spring practice and kind of showing what he can do. Yeah. Um, frankly, I I doubt to see him play a ton unless we get injury bug issues or, or if he really just is just – far and above better than some of the returning guys and some of the transfers that we have come in. 
but um, just to kind of provide something that thankfully we haven't had a whole lot of in the past, um, we haven't had as much depth and we haven't been able to have guys sit on the bench as long and kind of develop. And I know sometimes you got to be careful nowadays with the way the transfer portal works. You don't want to sit guys on the bench too long and not ever give them a shot at all kind of situation. But you look at those places like Georgia, um, Alabama, LSU in times past that have had those great teams for year in, year out. They had guys sitting on the bench kind of that were arguably just as good as their starters that were just kind of waiting for their turn um, in the seniority, I guess you could say. And I think you have to have these kind of guys come in. You obviously like what you're seeing from them in practice. If you can get them to buy in and maybe stay a year or two, even if they aren't able to get as much playing time, that's how you build those championship caliber teams. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then when you, you – while sticking with the defense for that of the ball, another guy that has can, kind of been standing out is linebacker Carson Dean. Um, you know, he was talking – Pittman was talking about him this week and said, you know, he's definitely our tallest linebacker on the team at 6'4", 232. But Pittman came out and said that, you know, he should be able to contribute this season, that, you know, he kind of catches you by surprise with, with his speed that he has compared to his size – um, so I think that's another guy that we look out for to come in and kind of take on one of those roles that, you know, we lost Bumper, we lost um, Drew Sanders. So there's going to be some openings on that linebacker role that need to be filled. Yeah, Chris Paul definitely is going to need a, a buddy to run alongside at the linebacker position for sure. I know we've we've done pretty well in, in the past few years on having a really solid linebacker duo or even trio. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear we're having at least some success on being able to reload that position with some of the guys we lost that you named for sure. Yeah. And then a couple other guys that have been mentioned as safeties, TJ Metcalf, RJ Johnson, Dallas Young, who also is plays nickel position a little bit, and Luke's twin brother, Dylan, in the you know secondary. So, you know, a lot of depth there we're hopefully starting to build up in the secondary, like we said, you know, the past couple of years we've been hit with injury bug, guys getting hurt. So to see – a class honestly full of freshmen, you know, secondary guys along with the guys who brought in the transfer portals. Definitely, I think, a, a good side for sore eyes there. Yeah, very true. I, I think you have to uh, start building some foundation again, obviously, with, with Barry Odom leaving. You're, you're, I don't want to say reinventing our what our defensive scheme is, but kind of in a way. Um, and you really need to have, have guys – come in that'll, that'll fit your scheme but that you can also kind of fit your scheme around their talents and abilities um so it's, it's really like you said a sight for sore eyes to have this this kind of depth this early on um with with new coordinator so that's that's definitely one positive that i'm seeing so far yeah i think you're definitely going from a kind of wait and style wait and see style scheme to a more uh, go on the attack type of defense. That's what we're going to see this year with our new coordinators where they want to get more pressure in the backfield and on the quarterback this year. Very true. Got to have a good secondary to be able to stand up if you're blitzing, go, blitzing guys though. So I think they're making the, the right adjustments as far as personnel. So definitely happy to see that. Very true. So we'll swap back, swap over to some Arkansas basketball news where Arkansas men's basketball did make it to the sweet 16 again this year, but um I think you can. It's safe to say that's where all the 
that's where the sweetness ended. And, you know, that, that was it for this game where they took on UConn and unfortunately fell in this game, 88 to 65. It was a tough game for the hogs where Anthony black was our leading scorer in this game with 20 points, followed by Ricky council with 17 points and Nick Smith with 11 points. You had Kamani Johnson lead the team in rebounding with five followed by Anthony black Devo, Jalen Graham, all with four and Ricky council with three. In the game, the team the, the team shot 31.7% from the field, going 20 of 63. Shot 31.3% from the three-point range, going 5 of 16 and 74%, 74.1% from the free throw line, going 20 of 27. So right off the bat, what kind of stands out to you in this loss Arkansas had in the Sweet 16? Well, um, we ran into a buzzsaw, man. I I was a little bit nervous about this game going in. I thought we had a pretty good ability to match up with their big guys, with the you know the twins, Jalen Graham and Kamani Johnson down low. I thought we would we were going to have a decent rotation to be able to handle um, their two big guys that they have. I thought we did okay in spurts on that, um, and then I, I really thought we were actually going to be able to mitigate their three point shooting more than we actually did um, with some of the length of our guards. But I, this game, man, just from the get go, they were hitting. A lot of their shots, um, obviously, they they shot very well from three. And we, we were even closing out on threes. I thought we played pretty good defense most of the game. They were hitting shots, and then if they weren't hitting their shots, they were getting offensive rebounds, um, and then they were kicking them back out and hitting that three. So it was just – a lot of things just didn't go right this game. But you got to give a ton of credit to UConn. I, I'm not sure I've seen a team play this well in, in tournament time um in a, in a while it's it's been it's been a hot minute it's it's borderline been since that Kentucky team that went undefeated all the way up until the finals um they they obviously UConn didn't have that kind of a regular season but they're having that kind of a uh a tournament so got to give them a lot of credit um their defense was phenomenal and then they shot lights out and just seemed like their their offense was just more prepared than ours was <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, when you look, start talking about, you know, some of those other statistics, you, you look at it, Arkansas got out rebounded 43 to 31, which doesn't sound necessarily terrible. And on the offensive boards, Arkansas actually out rebounded Arkansas on the offensive end. But when you flip over to those defensive rebounds, that's where Arkansas kind of took hits there where they were out rebounded 32 to 15. So two to one, essentially, on the defensive side of the rebounding. And then also, like you said, they were shooting lights out. They hit nine threes this game, shot nine of 20, which is a, a crazy 45%. You don't really see that number a whole lot. So, you know, it seems like they couldn't have had a more perfect game in a sense. And I think, you know, if they can keep up that style of play, there's not a team in this tournament that's going to be able to take take out UConn. I think it's safe to say that Arkansas lost to the eventual champs. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, it, and it's not even a stretch to say that either because they turned right back around and absolutely destroyed Gonzaga in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four. So they're they are currently in the Final Four, and my they beat Gonzaga by more of a margin than they beat us. I think it was eighty nine to fifty or something. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was fifty something. I don't know exactly what it was, but they. I mean, they killed Gonzaga, and Gonzaga is one of the most well rounded, well coached teams in the tournament. And they beat him by 26 or 28 or something. Yeah, I, mean, I think it was 28. Yeah, UConn is legitimately playing some of the best tournament ball I've seen in a long time. Like, it, 
just the way they played out there with some of the guys able to hit some of the shots they were, and then a couple of their bigs down low being able to either finish down low or catch and then kick right back out for open threes. I mean, I'm, the way they were able to rebound, I mean, it looked like we were playing a pro team. It looked, it was like we were playing Gold State Warriors out there. It was insane. Yeah. But, you know, you know, some positive you can take out of this. This was Arkansas's third straight Sweet 16, so it's another, you know, continuous building on getting Arkansas back to where we're a year-in-year-out tournament team and uh, are playing at a competitive level. I know there's a lot of high expectations going into this year with, you know, the star freshmen coming in, the transfer portal guys we had. There was, it was just a lot of hype around the season, and I think they got derailed with some injury bugs. But, you know, to see this team – through an up and down season, still come out and make a, a third straight Sweet Sixteen is, I think you can chalk that up to a successful season. Yeah, I think so too. A lot of adversity, definitely, that we had to fight through between you said injuries, um, just not really playing our best in certain stretches throughout the season. But I mean, I, I think they did actually pull together and really play better ball when it came to tournament time. You, you got to look at things like their. Uh, their free throw percentages, you can obviously tell they 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 put the work in right there towards the end of the year to start hitting more free throws again. I mean, heck, even in this loss to UConn, they shot 74% from the line, which you could have made a few more of those. But, I mean, that's really about all you can ask for. <clears throat> um, so three, three or four, I think, straight games where they were shooting over 70% from the line where right there towards the end of the regular season, I mean, man, we were, we were struggling to break over 50, 55% from the line. So – Definitely some things that they corrected towards the end of the season that I think they'll be able to build on towards next year just as far as team dynamics, team chemistry, things like that. I'm curious to see who we're able to keep and who we're not. But like you said, overall, I really think this was a successful year. Um, I think some people may have got too much into the hype train from the beginning, honestly, and thought that, oh, we're guaranteed a championship or something insane like that. And that's just really not how the, the world works. You can build your team as as good as you think they are on paper, and you still have to go out there and and uh, actually perform on the floor. And I I think they did a good job of that. It just was a little bit too too little, too late as far as some of the players coming back in, especially talking about Nick Smith. I mean, he had a pretty good game against UConn here, but <clears throat> I don't think we ever really got him for long enough to build a the correct chemistry around him, like what was possible. You know, you can worry for yourself to death, but that would have been nice to have him all year long and, and really see the the chemistry they could have built. But all in all, Sweet 16, three straight years. I don't really know how you can ask for anything more than that, honestly, especially out of your coaching staff and your players and stuff. I mean, that in, in my opinion, that's success. Yeah, and it's like if you remember, like, you know, what Daryl Hawkins said last week, you know, if you honestly sit down and think about it, being in the Sweet 16, we're one of the – it just shows we're one of the top 16 teams in the country. And I think, you know, like you were mentioning that hype train, you know, we did have all the, the, the talented freshmen come in, the trio of McDonald's All-Americans, but you also got to remember these are still 18-year-old kids that are going to have growing pains when trying to transition to a college game. They're not going to come out there and play like your junior or senior players that have experience, have played in, in several college games before. So, and I think we saw that this year, a few games where Nick, Anthony Walsh all had growing pains where they struggled in some games, but um, unfortunately probably a few of them won't be back, but you know, if, if there was ever a chance that they came back and, you know, maybe did some work in the off season, 
that would be a dangerous team next year. I, I'm not sure how um, accurate all this is, but I, I have seen some reports and, and actually some of some stuff on his own Instagram page, but Jordan Walsh was um, dropping hints, essentially, I guess you could say, on coming back for a second year. Um, I think out of those three McDonald's All-Americans, he's probably the one that's most likely to stay, so I, I could actually kind of see that happening. I, I highly doubt that you're able to to pull Anthony Black back. Um, he really had a tremendous year. I, he set all kinds of freshman records for us between scoring, assists, heck, I think he even rebounds. Uh, a couple of different, couple of different things that, that he really did well, and I, I don't see how you're able to keep him. There's, there's too much talent there for him to not go pretty high in the draft, and I wouldn't blame him for going at all. Nick Smith, I, I really think he'll probably go to the draft as well, just off of his um, potential. I mean, obviously, it wasn't the year that he was wanting to have, but there's still a ton of potential there, and NBA scouts know that. Um, there's, there's still a really good chance he goes in the first round too. <laughs> so I, I think it's tough to pull those guys back. But it, I think the, the biggest challenge from us, and, and not a lot of it kind of reported just yet, um, but is going to be able to keep the guys on the bench that he had, that he's going to need to step up into a bigger role this coming year. Guys like Pinion, guys like Darian Ford, Barry Dunning. Um, being able to keep the guys out of that crew that you need that have been developing kind of behind the scenes that really, in, in my opinion, could be primed to have breakout years next year playing on this team that we've had this year, learning some of the ins and outs on on this offense without actually having to go through the trial by fire, if, if that makes sense. So I'm hoping we do a good job keeping a lot of the guys that we want to keep around. And then we've got some talent coming in next year too. <laughs> yeah. Which we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that here in a little bit, talking about, you know, potential next season. But before then, we'll talk about – our Arkansas women's basketball, where they they had made a little run of them their own in the WNIT, where uh, on March 24th they took on Texas Tech in the WNIT round of 16, where they got the win there, 71 to 66. You had Michaela Daniels actually lead the team in scoring with 21 points, followed by Chrissy Carr with 17 points and Samara Spencer with 10 points. You had Aaron Barnum lead the team in rebounding with 10, followed by Sailor Poffenbarger with nine and Michaela Daniels with eight. And in this game, the team shot 39.2% from the field, going 20 of 51, 31.4% from three-point range, going 11 of 35, and 62.5% from the free throw line, going 20 of 32. And this win allowed them to advance to the WNIT's grade eight to face Kansas. Yeah. So, obviously, I think the the talent level that they were facing stepped up here in this game, but they still found a way to pull the win out. Um so that that was a good thing. I know we'd kind of talked about their their first couple of games in the WNIT. They were they were just better than the opponents they were going up against, um, kind of top to bottom. So pretty good competitive game here. Um, would have liked to have seen the the free throw percentage up a little bit. I thought they did a great job getting to the line. Um, that's one thing I've talked about. I've kind of harped on myself off and on throughout the year. But thirty two attempts is nothing to slouch at. But wouldn't wouldn't have minded to see them make a few more of those. But all in all, really good game. Yeah, and then like we mentioned, Arkansas, they took on Kansas in the WNIT Great Eight on March 26th, where unfortunately they fell in a tough game to this one, 78-64. You had Michaela Daniels lead the team in scoring with 21 points, followed by Aaron Barnum with 13 and Samara Spencer with 12. Aaron Barnum led the team in rebounding with 8, followed by Sailor Poffenbarg with 6 and Michaela Daniels with 5. 
In this game, team shot 36.7% from the field, going 22 of 60, 30.4% from the three-point range, going 7 of 23, and 81.3% from the line, going 13 of 16. So not shooting as many free throws, still have a decent, you know, three-point percentage above 30%. Um, but, you know, this was in the end of the line for the Lady Razorbacks, but they were able to make a pretty deep WNIT run. So that's good to see from a team that, you know, we're – kind of struggling there towards the end of the season. Um, but to see them come out and make a push was really good. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a WNIT, so not really where you wanted to be, but at least it's a credit to this team for going in there, um, not hanging their heads that, hey, we didn't make the NCAA tournament. You know, they, they came in and really played well. Um, you know, making it to that grade eight's a pretty good testament that they that they really wanted to kind of see how far they could go. Um Obviously, the the matchup with Kansas kind of where where the competition level got got above what we could really handle. Um, like you said, stats I thought we did okay on, uh, other than just the the field goal percentage outside of three point shots. Shot well from the line, just didn't get there as many times. So uh, that's that's more of a testament to Kansas being able to defend without fouling more so than anything, in my opinion. But. All in all, pretty successful year considering, like you said, some of the struggles we had. It was really up and down year. It seems like one game we would look unbeatable, you know, with some of the threes we were able to hit, just playing well as a team. And then the next game didn't seem like anything was going right. So definitely kind of an up and down year. I'm curious to see kind of how next year shapes out from a team dynamic standpoint. I, I, I feel like Neighbors needs to maybe try to evolve some of his offensive scheming, but I'm I'm not trying to couch coach here, but that's just kind of what I see from the outside in. As I say, I think we'll see a little different look in this team next year. As I know, Christy Carr is already declared for the WNBA draft, but we also do have some talent coming in. I know for sure we have one uh, McDonald's All American into Leah Scott coming in, so we'll have some different faces next year. Some younger players probably stepping up next year. Uh, so you know, we'll see what he can do with this roster as you, you go through some of these roster changes and um, some incoming talent that's coming in as well. Yep, very true. And so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of backtrack like we were talking about a little bit earlier. So for Arkansas men's basketball, they're in full transfer portal season right now. As you know, Musk in his press conference said, we'll start prepping for next season as soon as we get to the hotel, in which I'm sure he started calling kids immediately and started that contact there. So uh, up as today, up to date, Arkansas has currently contacted 58 transfer players, and that's the most updated number I've seen. Um, we're going to note a few players, and a big one to me is you have former five star and Arkansas native Kellel Ware that enter, entered the transfer portal, McDonald's All American from Little Rock that you know played with Nick Smith, I believe, that decided to go to Oregon, but now he's in the portal. So, you know, he's a guy that I think Arkansas probably should go after it to add some height and length to the team as he is a seven footer. <laughs> so um, what do you think? Yeah, I honestly, man, I, I was, I was reading through some, some articles and some stuff on uh, Facebook about this. Um, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure how or why, but somehow he just didn't really fit Oregon's scheme. And he, he played quite a few minutes early on in the year and just kind of fell out. But even in, in his minutes later on in the year, if you were averaging his stats out to a full 40, I mean, he was he was averaging basically like 16 points and 10 rebounds a game if you 
kind of extrapolated his stats out. He just wasn't seeing the floor much. Uh, whether that was defensive inefficiencies, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but having a seven-footer that's native to Arkansas, um, that's a five-star guy that, that's got tremendous talent around the rim. I mean, I've, I've talked to people that saw him play live when he was at, at Little Rock that said they thought he actually was the better player on the floor even compared to Nick Smith out there. So the, the guy's got serious potential. Um, I think he's just trying to find somewhere where he fits correctly. And I'd, hey, man, come back home and <laughs> see what we can offer you. So I, I would definitely be excited to get him pulled back in, um, especially kind of add a little bit more depth to that, that center position. That I mean, I, I wouldn't say we don't have depth there, but it would be it's never a bad thing to have a seven-footer on your bench. Yeah, that's true. I think it's one of those things where, you know, a long, lengthy, athletic, you know, big man is kind of what Muss is looking for. He he likes those athletic type of players that, you know, can come in, be dominant, but also be able to still run the floor like yeah. the offense that Muss wants to run. So it'll be interesting to see how much he gets pursued by Muss. But also, you know, it's like one of those things we were talking about. Does he fit the system exactly like Muss is going to try to get? So it'll be interesting to see. But like you said, some of those stats that he had last year. So on average, he was averaging 6.6 points a game, 4.1 rebounds a game, and 1.3 blocks. And he was shooting 45.7% from the field, 27.3% from three-point line, and 71.2% from the free throw line. So definitely – It'd be nice to have a big man that can come in and, you know, shoot free throws as well. You know, that's something like we mentioned, we struggled a lot of the season and kind of turned it on during uh, tournament time. But that's that's something that would be nice to have as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, frankly, I don't see anything bad about his stats. I know some people have been saying, oh, he, he didn't score much at Oregon. What's going to make him score much here? And I, you really got to go look at his minutes played there. There was somehow he just wasn't fitting into their rotation well. And, but whether that's like I said, him something on him that he needs to develop more, or something at Oregon that just he wasn't fitting right. But there's a lot of potential there. I think a a big factor on how aggressively we pursue him is going to be um, what Trevor Brazil decides to do. Because um, in my mind, I mean, Kellel Ware is very similar style player as far as the athleticism the height, the ability to finish around the rim, and then actually his ability to shoot threes from time to time. So th there's some similarities between him and Trevor Brazil, at least on offense. And uh, so I, I, I'm kind of curious to see how – what Brazil ends up deciding, how, how much that impacts what Khalil Ware decides to do. I think you also got to look at, too, you know, what happens with Jalen Graham, the Mitchell twins, guys like that that, you know, have some eligibility left, but, you know, will they – actually come back you know it's one of those things where it's almost you know portal seasons almost like free agency and transactions you know guys in and out you know so it'll be interested to see how much kind of shapes this roster but another guy that you know has gotten actually a crystal ball for Arkansas as a Rice grad transfer who you know his stats for last season was you know pretty good at, you know bringing in an experienced guard. I think that's kind of where we maybe lacked a little bit last year with the exception of Devo, you had, you know, freshman guards coming in and playing a lot of minutes. Um, but uh, uh, for last season, it's, his name is Quincy Olivari. 
and he averaged 18.7 points per game, 5.9 rebounds, 2.2 assists, and one steal a game, shooting 41.3% from the field, 36.4% from three, and 79.3% from the free throw line. Yeah, I've actually heard a good bit about him as far as the the relationship that was kind of already being built. Um, I don't want to say he's a lock to come here. I really think it just kind of depends on on who stays and who doesn't. Um, but it, but it's good to hear that guys are wanting to come here. That's just kind of the the update that I've heard is that he wants to come here. Um, so that that's definitely a good thing. And he obviously had really good statistics last year. Obviously not SEC caliber competition week in week out, but. Like you said, you're bringing in somebody that's got experience running an offense. That's definitely something that we lacked this year. Obviously, I thought Black did a great job, but there was moments, you know, where you could tell that, you know, he was still a freshman. So there's definitely pros and cons for bringing in those grad transfer type of guys that have been around the block a time or two. Yeah. And then another guy that would be surprising, but also that Arkansas has contacted is a big man out of Western Kentucky, Jamarion Sharp. You know, he averaged 7.4 points per game last year, 7.7 rebounds per game, and averaged 4.1 blocks per game last year. And, you know, those stats are decent year for a big man. But the I think the thing that stands out to me and is the craziest part is, you know, he's 7'5". You know, you don't really hear of a guy that's seven five, maybe seven foot, but seven five. I think I saw somewhere where he is the tallest active D one basketball player right now. So you know, that's yeah. five foot tall or five inches taller than Connor Vanover. So you know that that's some crazy height there. Yeah, that's that's a huge dude. I, it definitely shows up that height in the blocks per game. That's the one stat that really stands out. Four blocks a game is. To average that is pretty incredible. Um, I mean, points per game, 7.4 is nothing to slouch at, especially in a college game. And then seven, seven and a half rebounds a game is is obviously solid as well. But that four, that four blocks a game is incredible. So somebody that, that obviously I think a lot of these transfers really just depend on who Muss is able to keep. And I, I mean, let's be frank, like who Muss wants to keep. I know this doesn't get talked about a lot, but I'm, I know there's things happen where, you know, they have to have those tough conversations and tell guys, hey, I've got a couple guys coming in that realistically I think fit, fit what I want to do a little bit better than maybe you. So we, we got to take away that scholarship or something like that, which that's got to be hard in a coaching perspective. But that, that's uh, that's why they make the big bucks, I guess, you know. Um, but anyway, just in, in the – the players he's able to keep and the ones he wants to keep, all that kind of is going to shake out to determine who who I think they're going to really target. You can't get all those 58 guys you're contacting, so you're really just trying to cast that wide net right now and then uh, kind of see who makes it through the filters and uh, see who wants to come, see who you keep. and it It's a, a whole lot of moving parts, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. And I think that's the key point that, you know, keep saying we talk about these guys that, you know, might be good to come in, but also you can't really count on that until you find out who all is leaving. And, you know, on that front, everything's been really silent, especially, you know, with guys, especially like you think about Nick and Anthony, like, you know, that are most likely leaving, but still haven't declared that they're leaving for the draft or not. So it's one of those things like, I, yeah, the, that loss was, six you know a week ago you know not even so they're still probably 
processing that, but also, you know, with this, with portal season in full swing, guys already committing places. I mean, it's one of those things where you may have to speed up that process a little bit for guys that may be on the fence or like, you know, like, or like you said, guys that maybe does must want them back. I mean, you know, as much as you hate to say it, in my opinion, Jalen Graham's one of those guys where maybe, you know, you move on from him. He hit the, he didn't work out this year. Like maybe you thought he did with not seeing much minutes, that defensive insufficiency almost. And, you know, that just flat out terrible free throw percentage. I hate that, you know, down a guy, but you know, when you're, that's going to win you and lose you some ball games. And I think we saw that this year, you know, several yeah, times. No, no doubt about it. I that was he. He had some great abilities to finish around the rim. He had a really good post presence. I, in my opinion, probably better than almost anybody else on the team. He had a really smooth um, kind of turnaround hook shot. Um, just he had a really good post post presence as far as offensive scoring. But he wasn't the best on defense. Wasn't really the best in transition. Um, and then obviously struggled from free throw. And I, those are all some of those items that Musselman builds teams kind of to fit those styles of play. So I, I just – I think there was a few things lacking there. So, yeah, like like we said, it's a lot of this is just so up in the air right now with all these these moving parts and not knowing who's coming back, who's who's going, who you don't want to keep, all that kind of stuff. It really makes or breaks who you're actually able to target. And if they want to come here or not, you know, you, you're not going to want – you're not going to have these guys want to come here if you're keeping all of your big men. They're going to really be trying – you're strapped for playing time, if that makes sense. But if you have a couple of big guys leave and you've got, you know, floor time open up, you know, you, you have a lot more of of a way to recruit those guys to actually come in because you're, you're guaranteeing them some minutes. But I'm excited to see how it all shakes out. <clears throat> I mean, I'm I'm really excited to see what Anthony Black does, what Jordan Walsh does, what Nick Smith, what they all do kind of. I would have expected to kind of hear some news on them already. So I think there may be a little bit of uh, second guessing maybe on what they want to do, but we'll see. I think the only person I've actually seen come out and say that they're going ahead and uh, and moving on is Kamani Johnson. Um, other than that, I'm not sure I've seen any other news. Yeah. I think that's one of those things. If for some, you know, million chance reason that black and, you know, Nick came back, I, I think quite literally they would just flat out break Arkansas like you know I don't think anybody would know how to react with just if that was the case um but you know like you said they could be just weighing out their options but I think you know it would be a more a safer bet to just say they're probably gone and maybe just taking their time I know Anthony Black has a basketball camp up here coming up in a week or so so he's probably waiting until to get through some community event things and things of that nature, but I did see where I think he was actually in attendance at the McDonald's All-American game last night to and saw future Ridgeback Bay fall, you know, play a little bit. So, you know, it'll be something that in these next couple of weeks, I think it's going to be crunch time as, you know, players are in the border looking to get committed somewhere. That way they can start transitioning to campus and all those other things to get ready for, you know, summer ball because Arkansas typically takes that summer trip somewhere to play. So it'll be interesting to see what what happens in these next couple weeks. It's you know as crunch time for portal season is. Very true. So we'll switch over to Arkansas gymnastics. 
where the gymnastics team will be competing in the NCAA championships. Uh, we'll be in the Norman region facing against Oklahoma, Ohio State, and NC State or either Ball State. And then moving over to some Arkansas tennis, we'll kind of do a, a recap of five different meets that we had. The men's tennis team played UCF on March 22nd, unfortunately lost this match 5-2. to two. Then they turned around and played Florida on the 24th and lost this match 6-1. to one. The women's tennis team took on number 28 Vanderbilt on March 24th and won this match 5-2. to two. Men's tennis team took on South Carolina on the 26th, losing that match 6-1. to one. And then the women's tennis team took on Kentucky on the 26th, losing that match 5-2. to two. So overall, not the best week for the tennis team, especially on the men's side. Um, they're frankly kind of struggling in conference play. Um, but anyway, there's, there's your update on tennis. Yeah. And, you know, as of right now with everything going on, um, there's no new updates to Arkansas track and field as, you know, all these, um, you know, that championship's over. They they do have some meets coming up, but we'll talk about that in the future events here in a little bit. Um, but I think that might be, you know, just some other events going on. We'll just have to see what comes out of those. I mean, coming off of a performance where you win, you know, two men's and women's titles, it'll be uh, interesting to see what comes of those. And then with Arkansas swimming and diving, no really news there is that season just kind of wrapped up. So we'll, we won't have anything there for a little bit until next season wraps up. But uh, here in a minute, we'll, we'll take a quick break and then we'll jump back over to softball here in just a little bit. You know what I like? I like to be comfortable. I also love representing my favorite sports teams. And in the clutch, I am able to have the best of both worlds. In the Clutch Apparel is your one-stop shop for all things sports. They have officially licensed gear from all your favorite teams and players from the NHL, MLB, NFL, and more. They have sports classic tees from yesteryear and beyond. Check out their full website in the link down below. When you enter the promo code Variety Sports, you get 10% off everything site-wide. Feel comfortable with your sports apparel and go over to their website now at intheclutch.com. And don't forget to use our code Variety Sports to get 10% off. So now we'll jump over to some Arkansas softball where Arkansas softball took on Florida, number 10 ranked Florida here at home over the weekend and with the first opening game of the series on March 24th where Arkansas opened the series with a 6-2 win over Florida where Janice Dells got the start, pitched another complete game where she went seven innings allowing one run on five hits with six six strikeouts and four walks. You know, in this game, Hannah Gamble was the star. She she went two for three at the plate where she, with both those hits being solo home runs, where she tied her career in home runs, but also had a second, her second career multi-hit home run game. Um, and then you also got to talk about Atalia Rijo, who went one for two with two RBIs. So, you know, this was a great start coming back home after a good win on the road uh, against Alabama. Yeah, that's very true. Um Riding that workhorse, man. Shanice Dels is showing up and showing out in a lot of these games. Um, so she's she's definitely one to watch for. She's had a great year so far. Yeah. And then we'll jump over to the second mat the second game of the the series where Arkansas fell in this one eleven to four on March twenty fifth, where on this this game Robin Herring got the start where she went three and a third innings with five runs, four hits, 
three strikeouts and two walks, where she was relieved by Hannah Kamenzen, who went two and a third innings, allowing five runs on two hits with two strikeouts and two walks. And then Nikki McGaffin closed out the final one and one-third innings with allowing one run on two hits with one strikeout and one walk. In this game, you had uh, Kylie Howerson went two for three with two RBIs. Reagan Johnson went two for four with two runs scored. And Reagan Kramer went one for one with an RBI. And then you jump back over to the rubber match the on Sunday where Arkansas, you know, secured that series win, defeating the Gators 14 to one in five innings. So, you know, getting a run rule on a top 10 ranked team is a pretty good way to end the weekend where, you know, like we just mentioned, the workhorse Janice Dells got to start in this game, pitched the five, the five inning complete, you know, run rule game with only allowing one run on two hits with seven strikeouts. And in this game, Ryland Hedgecock was on fire where, where she played seven runs while hitting two home runs. Uh, she went three for three from the plate, and that is her 14th home run on the season. And then you also have Reagan Johnson went going two for three with two RBIs and two runs scored as well. So, you know, bats stayed hot on Sunday, and this team got that series win against a top-10 ranked team. Yeah, overall, this is a great weekend, especially uh, – you can't talk about her enough, but Janice Dells is just – She's lights out, man. <clears throat> Definitely a huge disparity on how good we are when she plays versus not. I love, obviously, we've got some other good pitchers. I think Robin Harris had a great year. Had a little bit of some struggles on the Saturday game, but that happens. Um, but offensively, this team is stacked. I, I can't talk about that enough either. The ability they have to, on a, any given game, they can explode and have multiple different players hit home runs. Uh, multiple, multiple different players have multiple hits I mean it's 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 impressive to see from top to bottom you know how how potent that offense really is for that softball team so the realistically in my mind the sky's the limit um you got a lot of new faces on this team kind of starting to gel into the system now in conference play you're you're really starting to see things kind of come together so there's really a, a in my mind a lot of potential for this team to make a deep run um I'm hoping they're able to avoid injuries and things like that throughout the year and some of that adversity I don't want them to have to go through. But they're a really fun team to watch, man. Like like I said, any given day, any given time of the game, they can explode from on the offensive side. Very true. I think it's like you, you nailed it right there where, you know, you see some of these young young uh, freshmen, you know, finding their groove, finding their rhythm and their spot. And then also as well as those, you know, kind of season transfers that come in that are finding their groove as well. Things like you said are just starting to gel well together. And I think you're seeing that as, you know, they come off two, you know, top 25 wins, but also this win of a top 10 series win. So I think, you know, they're like you said, they're we're finding our groove. And I think the sky's the limit. So very, very true. So we're we'll shift our eyes over to the baseball team, um, where we took on LSU, number one LSU and Baton Rouge, unfortunately, on uh, March twenty first, March twenty fourth, excuse me. We got the game one win, uh, nine to three. It did go to ten innings, uh, ironically, considering that score. Um, but Hunter Holland got the start here. He went five and a third innings. Uh, gave up three hits, zero runs, only one walk and seven strikeouts. He had a great game. And then he was relieved by Hagen Smith, who went the remainder of the four and two-thirds innings. He had five hits and gave up three runs with three walks and eight strikeouts. Um, so they combined for 15 strikeouts in this game. 
Um, a couple of items to note. Obviously, this this game went into extra innings. It was one to one at the end of the night. Um, we were actually leading this game one to zero all the way up until I believe it was the eighth inning. And uh, one of LSU, their freshman catcher, um, Neil, I think is his last name. He hit a pretty clutch um, solo home run to tie the game to force it to go into extras. And then we had an explosive top of the tenth inning where uh, Reese, big country Robinette, hit a pinch hit through on home run um, to to put us ahead. And then we loaded the bases back up and Kendall Diggs hit a grand slam to kind of tack on some insurance runs there. So that's why you see the score be such a disparity. Um, and then in the bottom of the 10th, LSU scored two more runs um, to make it nine to three at the end of it. But this got us our 15th straight win. It was a great start or great start to the series. Unfortunately, the next two games didn't go quite as well, but we'll, we'll cover those now. Um, first, though, what, what are your thoughts on that opener between the uh, arguably our two best pitchers, Hunter Holland and Hagen Smith? Yeah, this is a game that, you know, we came in, I think, you know, it had a time change due to weather, um, all kinds of things like that. But, you know, going in and getting a series win, I, I was – or not series, but game win it's to open up the series. I, I had some hope that maybe we could go down and steal a series. But, you know, like we mentioned, that was not the case. But at least we were able to go down and get a win and not get the sweep. But, yeah, I think Hunter Holland is performing at a really high level right now, you know, He's shifted to from that Sunday role to that your Friday night guy. And I think he's starting to excel pretty well. And I think we see Hagen Smith, you know, still coming in and being able to put together some good closing, you know, innings, you know, and maybe that'll switch as, you know, we get some guys back healthy. You know, I think today Dave Van Horn said that Tiger's still a few weeks out. So maybe we could see some changing up there once he's back or he we could leave. Hagen Smith has another closer and just have two dynamic closers. But I think our bats are, you know, doing pretty well. I think those being able to hit well in those bases loaded, you know, three guys on situations is something that you didn't see much of last year. I think in our game, midweek game, which we'll cover in a little bit later, they said that with guys in scoring position or bases loaded, we're hitting – in the 300 upper 300 so that's good to see yeah it's very true i'll just kind of throw it out there old big country robinette he's making a name for himself already just as a freshman i've i've seen comparisons obviously not he he's not the same caliber of player but he's got a very similar swing to heston kerstad he's kind of taller in stature like that too and uh he can hit the cover off the ball so it's been kind of fun hearing some of the talk about him he had a he had a really clutch hit in this in this game one that's kind of getting him some attention that's kind of good to see for those freshmen and we'll jump over to that second game of the series which it actually turned into a double header due to like we mentioned previously weather happened you know and so arkansas had a double header on march 25th where first game arkansas let, lost 12 to 2 in seven innings unfortunately this one got run ruled uh will mcintyre got the start in this game where he went four and a third innings. Did not his best outing where he allowed nine hits on and seven runs scored, one walk with two strikeouts on 91 pitches. So, you know, he 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 went a full close to 100 pitches in just four and a third innings. So it was a tough outing for him. But he was relieved by Austin Ledbetter, who came out and pitched two innings, allowed six hits and five runs scored, two walks, three strikeouts on 62 pitches, and then 
Gage Wood came out and pitched that final third of an inning, allowing one hit on 10 pitches. Um, in this game, Arkansas did jump out to a 2-0 lead with a Jared Wagner two-run home run in the first inning. Um, but after that, LSU scored 12 straight, 12 straight runs to win the game. So, Yeah, I'll add a little bit of color here to, to McIntyre's start. I, I, honestly, I didn't think he pitched bad. I think LSU just hit the cover off the ball. I, you, you really saw why they're the number one team. Um, they've got a couple of guys on their team that are – that are batting up above 400. I think Dylan Cruz is actually still batting over 512 or something like that. He's batting five. I think after this series, he was batting five, five eleven or something crazy, which 20 something games into the season. That's I've never really seen that. That That's insane stats just on offensive production. I mean, heck, I think he even had multiple hits in uh, game one. He was about the only guy that had a hit against Hunter Holland and Hagen Smith. But you, you could definitely see a difference in McIntyre's ability to get the strikeouts um, compared to Hunter Holland and Hagen Smith. And I think that's definitely, you know, what, what kind of cost him. I don't think he pitched poorly. He didn't walk hardly anybody. He only had one walk, but he was only able to, to get two strikeouts. And uh, he, he's not really a guy that gets a ton of strikeouts, but on a, on a team like LSU that can hit the ball as, as well as they do, some sometimes you're going to have a tough day when you're a pitcher that actually pitches to contact to try to get get outs by pop ups and uh, grounders and stuff like that. They they were just squaring up everything, man. They there's a reason they're the number one team in the nation, frankly. Yeah, that's true. I think it's like one of those things that you know you can only kind of keep guys contained for so long until you see them break out, and I think that's what we saw happen, especially on uh, with having the double header. You know, we'll we'll move into that second game of the doubleheader, but it's like one of those things that, you know, their bats got hot in game one and with it being the same day at home for them, that just continued on into game two where Arkansas unfortunately fell in the game two of the doubleheader allowing LSU to get the series win, but they fell in this game 14 to five. So didn't get run ruled in this game, was able to put up a few more runs, but still got the loss. But we'll we'll talk about Cody Adcock who got in the start in this game, which, Went two and a third innings, a little shorter for a starter than you'd like to see, but he got he allowed three hits on and four runs with one walk and two strikeouts on 44 pitches. So it didn't go too long into the game before he was relieved by Zach Morris, who came in, pitched an inning, had three allowed three hits, four runs, one walk on 27 pitches. You had Dylan Carter come in, pitch for an inning. One and two thirds inning with allowing four hits and six runs scored for three walks, three strikeouts on 52 pitches. You had Ben Bybee come in for two innings, you know, came in and gave us a good couple innings without allowing only allowing one hit and zero runs with one walk and one strikeout on 27 pitches. And then Christian Fouch came in and took care of that last inning where he allowed zero hits, zero runs, 14 pitches to end the game. But in this game, kind of similar to the first game, Jared Wagner hit a first-inning solo shot to put Arkansas up. And then Caleb Cowley had a bases-loaded walk that put the Hogs up 2-0 two to two to zero in the fir- first inning. You know, like I said, similar to that first game. And then you look at Cowley also had a two-run double in the third to give the Hogs a 4-2 lead. But after that, LSU scored 12 straight runs to, you know, take this game as well yeah I mean it was it was back-to-back games of LSU figuring out our pitching and then just I mean hitting the ball everywhere I it wasn't like we were giving them 
a ton of free runs off of walks, honestly. It wasn't like we were just sitting there walking guys and hitting batters or anything like that for them to be able to get their runs. They were legitimately scoring these runs <clears throat> by hitting the ball hard. Um, they, they've got a couple of guys, Tommy White that transferred in from NC State there to LSU who can smash the ball, and then Dylan Cruz. Those are two of them that really stand out to me. Dylan, uh, Gavin DeGoss, a couple of guys on their team are straight-up studs. Um, and they they showed why, especially in those two games. One item of note, in my opinion, arguably one of their, their best hitters behind Dylan Cruz is Tommy White. And he went 0 for 5 in game one where uh, Hunter Holland and Hagen Smith, I think both struck him out a couple of times apiece. I think he may have had – I think he had four strikeouts and then a ground out or a pop out. I can't remember exactly. But they did a good job containing him in game one, but he really got things going in game two and three. And as well as Dylan Cruz still hitting over 500 the whole weekend, um, it was it was tough to kind of keep up with their offense production once they got their bats rolling. Yeah, that's true. And you know, Tommy Tommy White, he's got the name Tommy Tanks for a reason. You know, he 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 launches big hits, and you know we saw that in this game. I think you you help. It's like I said, you, you know, you could you were able to contain him for those first couple of games, but then that third game. You know, he kind of just ripped it wide open. I know he had at least either – it was either a three-run homer or a grand slam or either both. I know he got a hold of two good pitches when they had some guys on base. So, it was it was a rough outing for pitchers in this second game where, like we said, this talent is definitely there. They're the number one team for a reason, and you were able to contain that for – especially game one to get that win. And then, you know – kind of the, the floodgates broke open in that doubleheader on Saturday. Yeah, so I'll, I'll add a quick quick note here that uh, obviously Hagen Smith is a great closer, um, but I think this was the first series where you really kind of see where it sometimes is kind of nice to have him in that starting rotation. Um, you use your two best pitchers in game one, and that's not necessarily a bad thing at all, um, but when you're trying to win series, you, you really kind of need that that ace and then that second ace, I guess you could say, um, kind of like how we used to have like Blaine Knight and uh, Casey Murphy, you know, back in the day. And I, I'll be curious to see how Van Horn kind of shakes things back up, especially like you said, once Brady Tiger gets back, I, I could really see some benefit for bringing Hagen back into a starting role. Um, maybe leave Hunter Holland in that Friday night role and then uh, save Hagen maybe for like a wild card kind of pitcher like you have him now, but with the intention of potentially starting him on Sundays or something. I, I really don't know, but in, in conference play where each of these games are so critical, um, I'll be curious to see how that starting lineup is adjusted when Brady Tiger comes back. Yeah, that's very true. And I think another thing that you kind of saw a little bit this weekend is, and I think we're still kind of, you know, playing around with some, some peace, pieces is seeing, you know, I don't think we've got necessarily that third base, you know, shirt up yet. I think we've rotated through some guys that we're, we're still trying to figure it out. You've seen Caleb Cowley come out and, you know, not be the best defensively and also struggle to play. You've had Harold Cole come out that he can hit the ball, but still maybe lacks a little bit defensively. And then you've got your freshman, Jason Jones, that he's been bouncing between third and first and he got the start at first in this midweek game but I think that's a question mark still for the team so far this season 
Yeah. Um, heck, even even your shortstop position with John Bolton. I mean, he he's definitely probably been our best defender. I think that's why he's in the lineup most of these weekend series. Um, because he doesn't really have the best bat, honestly. But he he is a good he's a good fielder, especially compared to some of our other options. It's this team definitely is feeling the the loss of losing uh, Jalen Battles, Robert Moore, Caden Wallace, some guys that were arguably some of the best infielders we've ever had, especially on the field at one time, you know, those three guys at one time was just unreal. But um, that, that third base position, in my opinion, I think Harold Cole has probably been your best guy there. Um, he's made some, some solid defensive plays there. And, and I think he has the best bat this far in the season. I don't know if that will change. I know everybody said Caleb Callie had, probably the best like spring training top um, against our pitching and stuff like that, but it just hasn't really transferred into the games. But once he starts to kind of get more and more in game at bats, you know, that, that could change a little bit. He obviously had a decent outing in uh, game three against LSU. So I, there's definitely going to be more to come there. Yeah. So that said, we'll, we'll cover the, uh, the midweek game that happened yesterday on March 28th where Arkansas got the run rule win 16-3 to in seven innings. Um, ben Bobby got the start. He went two innings, gave up three hits and three runs and three walks, only one strikeout on 43 pitches. Um, then he was relieved by Gage Wood, who went two innings, gave up one walk, had three strikeouts on 36 pitches. Ben McLaughlin came in for one inning. He had two strikeouts on 11 pitches, pretty efficient inning there. And then uh, Christian Fouch came in for one inning, had 19 pitches. Parker Coyle came in for the last inning, had one strikeout on 15 pitches. So got several guys into the pitching rotation here in this midweek game. Obviously, with a comfortable lead, you you just want to get guys out there and just start getting some in-game reps. Um, we had a, another game where we had multiple crooked run innings. I know that's been something that the broadcasters have been talking a lot about, um, about this Arkansas offense this year. We've had more multiple run innings than we've had in, in years past by far. We had a five-run second inning, a seven-run third inning. So jumped way out. Uh, that, I felt like that third inning took about an hour <laughs> with how many guys came to the plate there. But overall scored 16 runs on 14 hits. Um, some of your your offensive standouts were Tavian Josenberger, who went two for three, had three RBIs, and uh, also had two walks. Kendall Diggs went three for three, had two RBIs and one walk. And then Jace Borfin went two for three and had three RBIs. So a couple of your big names there really stepping up and, and getting the win there. And I, Fabian Josenberger hit a home run that I don't think it's come down yet, honestly. I, I saw that that clip where it they couldn't even track the ball. It went over that, that right field, the player development center out there. And I saw a stat that they said it only went 405 feet, but I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> what do you think, Caleb? <laughs> Yeah, that was a big home run that he had. Um, kind of another kind of essentially ice on the cake there is, you know, we like you said, we had a big win here. You know, it's one of those things when you look at those two big run innings that can be a little deceptive because when you look at that, not all those runs were scored off of our bats. Their pitching walked several runs in for us, easily four to five runs between those two innings that just got walked home because they, they struggled to have control there. Yeah, it's very true. Um, and that's 
that's a testament to the the patience of our hitters as well. I think that's one thing we've been we've been better at this year than maybe in certain years past is not chasing pitches out of the zone. Um, credit to Thompson on getting those guys really locked in on their their zones respectively. Um, so good job taking your walks. You you, you got to take your walks when you can get them. Um, don't be going up there trying to get a daddy hack every time. Just go up there, let the pitchers come to you, and then if you're you're able to get a good pitch to to smoke, then go for it. But you got to be going up there with the discipline in mind. And I think we've done a really good job of that this year. It's very true. So now we'll go over to some upcoming events as we get ready to wrap up here. The Arkansas women's track and field will be competing at the Texas Relays going on from March 29th to April 1st. You know, as we mentioned previously, Arkansas Gymnastics is going to be competing in the NCAA tournament going on on March 30th. You have Arkansas softball going on the road for another SEC series as they take on Mississippi State March 31st to April 2nd. The Arkansas men's tennis team is taking on LSU on March 31st. Arkansas men's and women's track team both will be competing at the Stanford Invitational on March 31st through April 1st. You have Arkansas tennis, women's tennis going to South Carolina. Arkansas baseball has a home series this coming weekend, March 31st through April 2nd. Arkansas volleyball is going to be taking on Tulsa on April 1st. You have Arkansas men's tennis taking on Ken, er, Georgia on April 2nd. You have Arkansas soccer getting kicked off with a home match versus Kansas State on April 2nd. You have Arkansas women's tennis going to Florida on April 2nd. And then next week you have Arkansas, another major week series where they're taking on in-state rival, or not rival, but in-state opponent, Arkansas State on the 4th. So a lot of good upcoming events, you know, good baseball and softball with SEC play, you know, getting ramped up, starting to compete at high level. So we're going to see how that all turns out. Yeah, I'm excited to see how we match up against Alabama's baseball team. They're having a pretty good year too. Um, so I'm, I've got high hopes that we can uh, get a little bit of revenge for how basketball went this year against them. <laughs> That's true, and I think we also struggled a little bit when we went on the road to Alabama in baseball last year. Didn't have the best outing for us either, so it would be good to get them back at home and maybe have some of those high-score crooked number innings like we talked about. So, Dang right, man. All about it. But again, well, thank you for tuning in to this, this week's episode of Whoopick Weekly. You know, we're here for your all your sources of Arkansas sports news. Um, hit us up on Twitter. Um, both of our uh, – Twitter or on the Whoopig Weekly Twitter page. Feel free to help hit us up with questions, ideas, anything you want to hear on this podcast. And we'll see you next week.